From the heartland of America and the gateway to the West, good morning, good evening, wherever you may be across the nation, around the world. I'm George Norrie. This is Coast to Coast AM. Later tonight, those open lines. And why do some people fake their deaths? Tonight's program, by the way, is dedicated to our past and present veterans. In a moment, a special tribute to all of them. Thank you. Here's what's happening. Israeli airstrikes hit three Gaza hospitals and a school on Friday, killing at least 27 people, and a ground battle was underway at another hospital. The U.S. has voiced fresh content at the war's mounting death toll. It's starting to get very, very deep. The human species has topped 8 billion people, with longer lifespans offsetting fewer births, but world population growth continues a long-term trend of slowing down. The Bureau estimates that the global population exceeded the threshold back in September. Tyson Foods recalled packages of the company's Fun Nuggets line of chicken nuggets. According to the USDA, the dinosaur-shaped nuggets were reported by customers to have been contaminated with metal pieces. One minor, minor oral injury was reported in the release announcing the recall. Here's uh, food safety coach Jeff Nelkin. Jeff, that's a serious situation. Oh, yeah. I mean, the package, by the way, is a reddish-looking package, and it's got little pictures of uh, cartoons of dinosaurs and in uh, breading form. So that's what it looks like. And uh, they've only had one inc- oral incident, but there could be more. So people that have this packaging... Uh, should if they have any concern, uh, they have a, a number of Tysons that you can uh, call to verify and see if your packaging is included in that recall, and uh, that's eight six five three nine two thirty one zero one. Packages affected are in Alabama, California, Illinois, Kentucky, Michigan, Ohio, Tennessee, Virginia, Wisconsin. And they uh, take it back to the score. Jeff, uh, Thanksgiving just a few uh, weeks away. What do we do with our leftovers? Well, I think, again, when you put out food for the family, put out enough. Don't over over put out, in other words, that you're exposing it to room temperature for extensive hours. So, you know, go a little bit at a time. So this way you keep everything refrigerated. You're keeping hot food, you know, above 140 degrees, and you're keeping cold food, you know, under 41 degrees. So just be aware that, uh, you know, the food hasn't been left out for an extensive period of time. And, uh, you know, reheat food to 165 our general, you know, concerns uh, that we would remind people, you know, so just pay attention. And, of course, you know, washing hands, you know, before you start handling the food and making sure, you know, that people, you know, aren't, uh, you know, having colds or sneezing or coughing, you know, try to keep people in good health, you know, in your area. And if people are not feeling well, don't get them too close to the food. Bring the food to them. All right, thank you, Jeff. Jeff's website, foodsafetycoach.com. Here's Kevin Randall with his weekly UFO report. Hi, Kev. What do you got for us? Well, hi, George. Uh, Happy Veterans Day to you. Thank you, sir. You too, Lieutenant Colonel. (laughs) Uh, Lieutenant Commander? Uh, Just full lieutenant. Oh, lieutenant. Okay, sorry. 
Uh, as I'm sure you know and have, report, and have reported, Dr. Sean Kirkpatrick, the man tasked with running the government UAP investigation, is retiring. He said about his upcoming retirement, and I quote, I'm ready to move on. I have accomplished everything I said I was going to do, end quote. We learned that since creating Arrow, Kirkpatrick investigated more than 800 cases. But what does that mean? That he gathered reports, that he sought out witnesses and interviewed them personally, or that he received censor data or reviewed the censor data? What we do know is that he has repeatedly said that he has found no evidence of alien visitation, which, of course, is not really the mission of Arrow. It is to investigate cases of anomalous phenomena that have been reported by eyewitnesses or detected by various sensor arrays and other instruments. According to the reports, Arrow is, and I quote again, the first U.S. government office to be tasked with synchronizing reports across DOD and the interagency to collect report and analyze UAP. While that might be technically true, it is also somewhat misleading. Project Sign, created in 1948, was tasked with the same sort of mission, and by looking at the available documentation, we see that the data were drawn from across an array of government agencies, including the FBI and the CIA. Of course, Sign was looking for flying saucers, and the University of Colorado study in the late 1960s allegedly had access to all the government records, and they too collected new reports at this, that time. And I have to wonder about all that transparency. Just reading the information available on the Arrow website, you find that the witness statements will not be available, that many of the sighting reports are classified because of collection methods, and that they have found no evidence of alien visitation. Arrow, and by that I mean Kirkpatrick, have claimed that they have talked with many of the witnesses David Grush alluded to last summer, but we don't know much about that, who these other whistleblowers are, and what information they may have. All we know is that Kirkpatrick and Arrow have denied any evidence leading to the extraterrestrial. And here's a kind of important sighting that Arrow probably wouldn't be interested in. On September 4th of this year, in Cumberland County, Pennsylvania, witnesses reported a large object and a cell phone failure. Yes, I reported on a similar sighting from the same location that took place the day before. That is on September 3rd. These are two different sightings. According to the report, the witnesses were driving along when the passengers spotted something strange. They stopped and got out of the car to look. The object was solid-looking, was white in color, and was hovering. The circular object accelerated to a higher altitude and then split into two. The saucer-shaped object continued to climb, and the lower one dis uh, dispersed a series of other geometrically-shaped objects that gradually disappeared. And here's where it gets interesting. One of the witnesses called his cell phone, or used his cell phone, to video the object. He said the phone showed that the video footage was being made. However, when he checked, there was only a couple of still pictures on the phone, and he couldn't understand why there was no video. As I said, this suggests some sort of electromagnetic failure, and remember other sightings on September uh, 3rd also hints at EM effects. These elements could lead to a more robust investigation, and that report is courtesy of Stan Gordon and his UFO Anomaly Zone website. And that's it for tonight, George. All right, my friend. We'll talk to you next week. Kevin Randall, and thank you again for your service. In a moment, Daniel Brinkley joins us as we begin to pay tribute to our past and present veterans right here on Coast to Coast AM.
Daniel Brinkley, of course, a New York Times bestselling author and is loved and respected worldwide for his inspirational lectures on near-death experiences. He has had many himself, is also the co-founder of the Twilight Brigade, a not-for-profit dedicated to helping that no veteran dies alone. Daniel, my friend, I get so misty-eyed every time I hear those themes. I do too, George, and it, it, I go back and think about all the guys I've seen over the last uh, 37 years in the VA, and I, when those songs meant everything to them, and to hear them, and to watch, and to, you know, and to remember when America was that hatred and that united and that strong. Can you imagine the men and women listening right now? I'm a little broken up about this. I keep thinking about no my question. dad, World War II veteran, passed away about 11 years ago. But the pride they feel when they hear those songs? Yeah. Oh, it's in us, too. It's in you and me, too. I'm sitting with my eyes closed listening to every word, you know, every sound, because it just makes me, empowers me and strengthens me. You know, I'm doing, I'm trying to do everything I can to help veterans on a daily basis. And this program and you and the bonding that we all have created over the last 27 years, we've done this every year for 27 years, George. That's loyalty. That's patriotism. And that's really standing up and meaning what we say and what we do and outreach to the community. And we're veterans, so that's what we're going to support and look at. We're going to continue talking with Daniel Brinklin, and in the next hour, we're going to take calls with Daniel. So if you're a veteran, if you've served, jump on board. If you just have a question and you haven't served, jump on board as well. How did you get involved in the Twilight Brigade? Well, it all came from being struck by lightning, George. This whole story started out when I was struck by lightning. And I went through the standard things that people go through, but I met these beings, you know, these 13 beings. That's right. Okay. And so all that stuff, just like today, right now we're in box five, and the title is that Strife strife and Hatred in the Holy Land. And I, and it just, I have written, this was written down in 1977 based on having that near-death experience. And when I put them in it, when I put it in Saved by the Light, George, it was that if these beings had shown me this stuff when I was dead for 28 minutes, then it would be what I would reinforce when I wrote Saved by the Light. Okay, here's what I saw, that if we keep doing the same things we've been doing, this is where we would end up. That's true. Daniel, we're going to take a short break and come back and talk more with you on Coast to Coast AM. Happy Veterans Day. And welcome back to Coast to Coast. George Norrie with you, along with Daniel Brinkley, co-founder of the Twilight Brigade, again, a not-for-profit group that is dedicated to making sure no veteran dies alone. Their website is thetwilightbrigade.com, linked up at coasttocoastam.com. Daniel, is the VA doing all it can for our vets? Is it getting any better? Well, George, we have to look at it from this point. This is an election year coming. Okay, and if we just like for 27 years put the information in the hands of the people and the veterans, then they have a knowledge of a reason why when you see your representative or you see these people on the campaign trail, we can make a difference. So what I've done every year is put together the worst and the best things. But when to answer your question straightforward is this, there are two studies. They say that 17 to 22 veterans kill themselves every day, and then there's another one that says 31 a day. Well, and 86% of these veterans have interacted with the VA or tried to find help. 
okay? And so when you look at that, then the system is failing. It is absolutely failing. If these veterans are interacting and trying to find help with whatever they're going through, and the system is failing them because then they they get depressed and they kill themselves. Yeah. And at the rate that we're watching it happen, this is why everybody, as war is building all around us, and we look at what the contract with the government is when you go and put your life on the line, and then to look at the last three from Vietnam forward to now and look at where we are, we have to do something. So I made a list of a couple of things that are the worst parts about the VA. Because there's also great things happening. The innovation of integrative and, and complementary medicine in the VA is is beating all goals. It's beating all standards across the metric of hospitalization therapeutic modalities. Has that changed? It wasn't that way 30 years ago, was it? Oh, my God, George. When I started, remember, remember when I started, they didn't have hospice. There was no hospice program when I started in the VA. Well, and the Twilight right. Brigade's training has now become the standard end-of-life care model in the Veterans Administration as no vet dies alone. And I was talking to Cheryl Turkelson. It was me, Cheryl Turkelson, Thomas Eads, uh, Beth Clay of the International Chiropractic Association, all of us who came together to push this forward, whole health and integrative therapy. They, you couldn't even say the word yoga. You couldn't say it. Okay, so now the standard end-of-life care model used by the Veterans Administration is the Twilight Brigade refined into now a standard end-of-life care model. So I have succeeded in achieving that goal. Okay, so when you look at where we are now, the greatest, the worst thing that we have is the VAEHR, the Electronic Health Care System. It's the worst thing in the world for a, whoever designed it, George, whoever designed it did not care about the patient. They cared about records. So what's happening to doctors, and I have like 22 different doctors that I know in different VAs, so I ask them all the same questions. And so the system takes away from time and with the patient, with the veteran. It's work that chasing down how to put a record together is so hard. You spend all of your time logging information and only have a couple of minutes with the vet trying to diagnose. This is horrible, okay? The, the other thing that's really bad is they are not looking at, they're not looking at what, what happens after war. I mean, they say they're doing it. Okay, but when you look at... Um, and that's one of the most critical things, isn't it? It's everything, George. Why would we serve? Because we knew our backs were covered. And, you know, you work the system. I mean, the worst part, the other part that's the worst is the bureaucratic systems. They build bureaucratic systems that create obstacles. Like one doctor, he said, look, I have to go through 10 pharmacists to give a patient a prescription, and they all have to approve it. Because each one creates a rule or regulation so that they would be in charge of making the decision when the doctor has been a doctor for 40 years. Okay, and this is this is throughout the doctors, different every type of doctor, cardiologist and internist and surgeons. All of them tell me the same thing, and especially nurses. So this is stuff that we as the 
We as the people of the night, or we of coast to coast, we have the power in the next year to stand up for our veterans. And that's why the like light streamers is where I house the toilet brigade because now it's a government program. And I moved on to caregivers because the thing that's so great that I've watched happen, George, is caregivers have power and, and survivors. But so before it was only just the veterans. Now it's the caregiver, and they can get paid. They can, they're going to do the work anyway. They're going to do it anyway. And why not get paid for it? Why not respect the caregiver? That's right. Because when, you, when they looked at the Iraq situation and after the Gulf War, which not, nobody really got hurt, but you looked at when you came home, that parent became that parent or that wife or that spouse or that friend became a caregiver. And something had to happen. So this has moved forward. I'll tell you something else that's really cool, George. It's peer facilitators. During the COVID time, they had to create ways that people would normally come in for sessions and sit down and talk or mm-hmm. the vet to vet program. Well, they put them on the phone and they put them on a Zoom call. Okay, Kathy Bixby at the Washington VA, I mean, she pushed this program. She was hospice, but she put this program where guys could get on their phone, they could call in and have a peer facilitator. That means a combat somebody there listening to their story and the people, everybody listening to everybody and interacting together to create that camaraderie that's so important. I mean, I, I see the opportunity for us because we have consistent. We've been doing this for 27 years. Okay, we've been doing this. And everybody who listens, I try to put together the smartest understanding of how to work the VA to get what you need. Okay, and it's the whole health program. The whole health program, if you're a caregiver and you're listening to this, or you know one, or you're a veteran and you're listening to this, or you know one, you tell them to go to the, and look on the website at VA, at the VA slash va.gov slash wholehealth.com and look at it because it's your gateway. And not only that, George, it's the opportunity to take back control of your life, which now you can say yoga, Tai Chi, acupuncture, stretching. I mean, a whole nother world, chiropractic, a whole nother world of integrative therapies are happening in the VA because you have to treat the whole body. You have to treat that. And so, my biggest issue is two things. The system is bureaucrats, and the other system is the, the electronic health care uh, system. It's, it doesn't work. It doesn't work. And the other thing is tonight, in the 248th anniversary of the Marine Corps. Of which you're a Marine. Hoorah. 50,000 veterans. 50,000 veterans will sleep on the street. No way. Fifty to sixty thousand. I took the low side of the study, George. Wow. In in Los in Los Angeles, that's all they talk about is housing. Why this eighteen thousand veterans on the street in Los Angeles? Crazy times. That's insane. It is insane. We need to take care you, of them. Let me tell you one of the issues with it, though, George. Here's one of the issues because I live this every day. You know, I've been at this. 37 years in the VA, and I've been a hospice volunteer for 45 years. 
You know, and to be asked thirty-four thousand dollars at the bedside, and I've been with over two thousand people and three hundred and fifty-eight taking their last breath. There's a place so for I you have, in heaven, Daniel. If they ever keep you, they keep throwing you back. Well, because I know you would miss me, George. Yes, I would. <laughs> so here's the here's the other thing too. The there's a thing called Operation uh, Operation Patriot FOB OPFOB in South Carolina. And it's uh, finding purpose beyond beyond the call of duty, and they're trying to create camaraderie. It's near the Marines, near Paris Island, and I want people to go to lightstreamers.com, and then go to the Twilight Brigade under resources and look up look up this OPFOB, OPFOB Lightstreamers Twilight Brigade, because. These kind of organizations need our support because these are veterans helping veterans peer to peer. The the other thing that's so much important in integrative therapy, and this is another company I found, it's called Benefits USA, okay? And they have a series of products that have to do with pain management, okay? And I want people to take a look at it, light streamers, Twilight Brigade resources and go and look at it because if you're in pain and it's a natural way, let's see if it works for you. The other thing is we need to support the OPFOB. I mean, this needs to be supported because these kinds of programs, George, are the things that's going to make a difference in the lives of veterans. And when you come in contact with a congressperson or anybody that's running for office next year, these talking points are going to make the difference. They sure are. How bad is PTSD? Well, you got to be able to separate the concept of PTSD from traumatic brain injury, okay? And it's horrible. It's horrible. And some of it is caused, George, is the thing that made me, got me really mad because I heard these stories of, of guys, uh, uh, they're ops people, because I know, you know, I know everybody. They're ops people, and they were doing a special op in uh, Syria. Okay. And it was a Marine battalion. And these guys came back, and they were a howitzer battalion, and they were firing 100-pounders, okay, 15 miles. And they, so many of these, 22 of them came back, and they were having visions and hearing voices, and they were seeing dead people. And one had this little girl that stayed with him all the time, okay? And I said, wait a minute, wait a minute. What could possibly – they thought they were hexed. They thought that some of the stories that they were told – because when you're firing a howitzer, you're firing at 12 to 15 miles, and you don't ever see a combat. You don't ever see one. Right. But when these guys started having this, they ruled it PTSD, but it was traumatic brain injury. Okay. And when guys wouldn't follow along the system and take the drug protocols that they have so they could classify it under the numbers that they could use so that they could fill it up in their records as opposed to paying attention to what they're saying. When you fire a howitzer, maybe 155, you got a 100-pounder. The percussion, George, of when you pull that, when you pull that lever and it fires, there is a percussion wave that comes backwards. I mean, anybody that's ever been in a blast zone knows oh, exactly the re- what Oh, the recoil's incredible, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, it sh- it moves through every muscle, every bone, every every organ. I mean, it shatters you, and then you fire, and then you at fire base, and then you fire four hours. Look at what you're doing. So it's got to be traumatic brain injury. 
So in separating those two things, look at PTSD, which is a protocol they use. And I'll tell you something about PTSD, George. It has a lot to do with guilt. I mean, traumatic brain injury comes, I mean, PTSD, post-traumatic stress syndrome, comes from things that when you get away from it, and you don't have the camaraderie of your team, and you don't have the safety of you all supporting each other, and you're all by yourself having to face yourself in what happens in combat and in war. You're killing tens of thousands of people. You, you cannot walk away from that. And when you look at today, you look at today and where we are as the United States of America and with what's going on and where we have, you know what the first thing I would ask myself was, is the President administration refilling the strategic oil reserve. That is the only question I would ask the president of the United States today. Why is that? Because if you don't have the fuel to convert to run a, a operation, which is diesel, what happens to climate change in a war, George? What happens? Climate change goes out the window. And, you know, it doesn't matter anymore because of diesel fuel and killing and murdering and destroying and all the stuff that creates CO2 and all those stories that we hear about that. Then what happens? If we don't have the fuel, if we don't have the fuel to fight a war, we won't be fighting it. Okay? So when people start to really look at this, are those reserves being refilled today? And are we pumping in America to make sure that we get it at a price that we can afford to pay? And, George, look, we're at uh, – right now in the United States, we are we, – we don't have a budget. We haven't had a budget in like 10 or 12 years, but we don't have a budget. We're having continuous resolutions right now, and it's got to be done by, what, Monday? <laughs> or another or shutdown. Or the government shuts down. That's right. Hello, everybody. Okay, so if if there's ever a chance that we're going to make a difference, it's now. And if we ever were sane enough to look at where we are, we don't have a choice. The thing that I have comfort in, George, is you already know the boxes of knowledge and saved by the light that came from the, you know, everybody doesn't know that. But when I put it in that book, it was if they were brave enough to put this stuff on me and I had to come back and take two years to learn to walk and feed myself – then when I was going to tell the story, either what they had given me as became future events, what they had given me either reinforced the fact that there was life after death or it did not. These are not Danian predictions. These are what they said, and when Paul and I sat down, we put it in boxes. All I ask anybody to do is just go look at it and see what I missed. What did they miss? Okay, then then the reality of for me, it's that there's life after death and I've helped contribute to the concept after going through all the crap that I've been through. I've contributed to the concept. So where the Twilight Brigade came from was you come to a place in this event when you see your life pass before you in a 360 degree. You watch it from a second person point of view as though you were your own best friend. And then you literally become every person that you ever encountered, and you feel the direct results of your interaction between you and that person. And this is a Danianism, but then you ask a question. If God couldn't come today and God sent you, in the life you just reviewed, what difference did you and God make? Well, lying in that bed for 11 or 12 months and getting up to walk again, the difference that I could make is go die with Marines. 
that was the difference I could make because I'd already been where they're going to go, and I have so much knowledge of what Marines and what combat and what people go through. And so if God didn't come today and God sent me, and then when it came time to do this book, which is like 18 years later, it was because I looked at where Raymond was and I saw that how, I mean, how trying so hard to defend something he did a study on. I mean, he studied it. He was a philosopher. And I watched what happened and I just said, okay, let's put it out there. So I've been out here every day since then. But I was all of this before I became Daniel, the author and all that. Well, don't give it up. We're going to come back and chat more, Daniel, and take calls with you next hour on Coast to Coast AM. 